As the desert sun sets, the yellows and oranges playing off the hot sands of the Middle East, the wind blowing a fiery breeze, we find a man walking along the road, a scarf pulled across his face against the blazing elements, his leather sandals putting one foot in front of the other, quietly and relentlessly, lonely. An apt image, perhaps, for the great philosophers, the deep thinkers, the Renaissance makers who first spellbound and then bound the Jewish people to ideas and ideals. So here's our deep thinker, a man wayward in both appearance and in life, ambling along the desert highway between Babylon and the province of Judea, a Jew leaving his home for his homeland. He didn't know it yet, but his destiny was to be a great sage, one of the greatest, in fact, a man whose life story would be written as comparable to Moses, the greatest of prophets. His ideas about the nature of humanity and our obligations to one another would permeate even non-Jewish culture, immortalized in the classic line passed down from parents to children everywhere, known today as the Golden Rule. We find him on the desert road, this Babylonian, just shy of 40 years old, impoverished in wealth but rich in spirit, brimming with the hope of perfecting his study of Torah. His early life is utterly unknown to us, never written down, and the rest of his life comes to us in the legendary heights of his scholarship, spirituality, and humility, written by his greatest admirers. But don't be mistaken, he really existed. His name was Hillel. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. Hi everyone, welcome back to season six here at Jew Wanna Know. Wow, it is great to be back. I know, I know, I disappeared for way longer than I intended there. Turns out that getting a public school teaching credential does not leave room for much else, so that's where I've been. But I'm back. And this summer, we're diving into 10 Jewish philosophers you ought to know. Who they were, what was going on, what they thought, their most famous or most important contributions to Judaism. Some are super famous, others you may not have heard of. This is not a deep dive into the nuances of philosophy, so don't worry about keeping your Aristotle straight from your Immanuel Kant. We're focused mostly on biography here. Now, there are more than 10 great Jewish philosophers, for sure. I have a long list of names here, and I pulled out 10 for this season. So if you don't hear about your favorite philosopher, don't worry. You probably will at some point. Consider this season just the first batch. There's no real rhyme or reason to these 10. I picked them more or less at random, aiming to cover chronology and geography, We've got folks like Hillel today from before the Common Era, all the way up to a rabbi from the 20th century. From the Middle East to Central Europe to the United States, mostly each thinker knew about those who came before him, so sometimes their philosophy built on the previous guy, but other times, not necessarily. And that brings me to my other disclaimer. These are all men. Unfortunately, this kind of leadership just wasn't open to women, at least not until you get really into the 20th century or a bit before. Most of the philosophers in this season were rabbis, and rabbis were, until relatively recently, universally men. That is one shortcoming of history in general, of course, not limited to the Jewish experience. 
But in any case, these are some fascinating figures who live through extraordinary times in interesting and complex parts of the world. Together they tell a tale of Jewish civilization across the ages, of the great heights of ideas and beliefs and the boundless optimism that comes from free thinking, open discourse, wisdom, and perspective. Some of these philosophers stayed close to their homes, others roamed across much of what was then the known world. Many had their intellectual enemies, some had their actual enemies, and at least one would be formally excommunicated from the Jewish community for his ideas. I don't want to list all the names right now, I like to preserve a little suspense. But let us begin with the ancient past, the first century before the Common Era in Jerusalem, with an up-and-coming scholar and leader, our man from Babylon, Hillel. When Hillel stumbled into Jerusalem, bedraggled and exhausted from his long journey, he entered a city on the cusp of a fateful transition. For a hundred years now, Jerusalem had been the capital of an independent Jewish state called Judea. The city and the region had been under the rule of the Hasmoneans, the Jewish royal house. After centuries under the Assyrians, Babylonians, and Persians, the land of Israel was once again under the sovereign control of the Jewish people. Not only that, but it had become a regional power, constantly expanding its territory and had developed a fierce reputation. But by the time Hillel arrived, around 70 BCE, the independent Jewish state was fraying around the edges. Two Hasmonean brothers were fighting each other for control of the crown, and both appealed to the global superpower of the day for support. Rome. The Romans sensed opportunity, and as Romans do, violently seized it. The great Roman general Pompey sacked Jerusalem in the year 63 BCE. He chose one of the Hasmonean brothers to rule, but stripped him of his kingship. From now on, Judea would be a client state of the Roman Republic. The Jews would be tossed back and forth amongst the great egos vying for control of Rome, from Julius Caesar to Mark Anthony to Augustus. Hillel, of course, was aware of all this. Jerusalem was a fairly small city. But he wasn't there for politics. He was there for Torah. And he came at a pretty good time for that. The sages were on the up and up in society, becoming influential teachers, leaders, and guides through Jewish law. What we call in Hebrew, halacha. The Israeli historian Menachem Stern wrote that these were men who appeared to the nation as exalted figures surrounded by an aura of holiness and moral purity. There was an official class of priests connected to the ruling Hasmonean dynasty who oversaw matters concerning Jewish law and ritual. But these new Torah scholars could be anyone, Stern wrote, anyone who was willing and able, regardless of their background, wealth, or social status. These sages passed judgment on halakha, Jewish law, which formed the basis for the everyday rules and ethics that governed a wide range of society. And because they were so highly respected, their rules were often accepted, even if they weren't legislated from the state priests themselves. So Hillel was looking to join an illustrious group whose stature was gaining in Jewish society. We don't know what brought him out of his home in Babylon, or why he waited until he was 40 years old to pursue his studies. 
Although since I just finished yet another graduate school for what feels like the 96th time, you'd think I'd have a little insight. Hillel was trying to deepen his understanding of the Torah and the Jewish tradition. I'm sitting here trying to complete Form 2F for parking permit at Lot G. One imagines the great sage aggrieved about having to tie up his camel too far from campus to walk. Alas, the Talmud failed to record his commuting preferences, which might have been helpful for me. But in any case, what was written was an account of Hillel's early experience at study. Several hundred years after Hillel's time, the Talmud recorded a story to illustrate the great master's dedication. The story goes that Hillel worked a day job to earn just enough money to buy food and to pay off the security guard at the school to let him in. But one day he had no work, and therefore no money to tip the guard. So he crept up to the roof of the school and hung by the skylight to hear, wrote the sages, the words of the Torah of the living God, from two great spiritual leaders of the time who were working down below. It was Friday night, Shabbat, and cold. Snow fell and covered Hillel. The great scholars noticed that their room was darker than usual and realized that something was blocking the skylight. They went up to the roof and found Hillel buried in the snow. Although it was now Shabbat, the two sages lit a bonfire to warm him up, as the imperative to save a life overrides the rules of Shabbat. This man is worthy for us to desecrate Shabbat for him, they said. Clearly, they concluded, poverty is no excuse for the failure to attempt to study Torah. No longer, said the Talmud, would it be permissible for a poor man to stand on his day of judgment and declare poverty the reason for not devoting himself to studying Torah. Were you any poorer than Hillel? the sages asked. Hillel proved a prodigal student and rose through the ranks at his house of study, the most prestigious one in Jerusalem. When the head of his school retired, Hillel stepped into his place, becoming Judaism's most respected authority in matters of scholarship, ethics, Torah, and halakha. But he wasn't the only one. And he rose to prominence just as the fortunes of the Jews of Judea were once again taking a major turn. Right about the same time that Hillel became the intellectual heavyweight of Jewish Jerusalem, the Jewish royal Hasmonean dynasty collapsed once and for all. Rome was fully in charge, and in the year 37 BCE, they put their own man on the throne. King Herod, a man infamously worthy of his own podcast. Herod was one of the greatest builders that Judea and Jerusalem ever saw. He's the one who built the Temple Mount and the Western Wall, which was then the largest single structure in the ancient world. Herod was also quite mad, to an excessively murderous degree, which we will no doubt explore in future Juwanano podcasts. The point is that Hillel assumed his leadership position at a moment when Jerusalem and Judea moved from Jewish sovereignty to complete control by the Romans. This brought not only the kind of political repression you envision with Rome, but also the extraordinary attraction and heavy presence of the Romans' Greek culture. Okay, let's skip over a ton of history to get to the big point as it concerns Hillel here. The Jewish community had been divided for a long time over how to handle Greek culture. Some Jews enthusiastically assimilated, others fought it violently. 
Hillel stood within the group that opposed Greek culture with the force and focus of Jewish culture, law, ethics, and values. This group was called the Pharisees. And even though the Pharisees began before Hillel's time, he would become something of their spiritual godfather. And to make an even longer story short, after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the Second Temple in the year 70 CE, so about 100 years from now, it is the Pharisee thread of Judaism that would survive. These Pharisee sages who revered Hillel would become the rabbis, and their version of Judaism would become Jewish law and culture as we more or less have it today. And that's kind of how Hillel ended up such a big deal. The sages who admired him the most were the same ones whose version of Judaism survived the coming war with the Romans. What the sages recorded wasn't just Hillel's wit and wisdom, but also his dialogue with other great scholars. And this is a common theme in texts concerning the sages. They often appear in pairs, intellectually sparring with an opposite number to reveal the many sides and nuances of any particular biblical idea or point of law. Hillel's counterpart was a scholar named Shammai, and their two schools of thought, often called houses, frequently took on opposing views. Shammai was the more conservative scholar. The historian Paul Johnson writes that for Shammai, the essence of Torah lay in its detail. Unless you got the detail exactly right, the system became meaningless and could not stand. But Hillel took a more expansive view. For him, Johnson writes that the essence of Torah was its spirit. If you got the spirit right, the detail would take care of itself. Hillel was invested in making Jewish law accessible for all Jews, not just those who could most scrupulously obey every last directive. Hillel, having come from the diaspora in Babylon, he had a more universalist outlook, a more expansive view of Judaism that could fold in Jews from anywhere in the world, not just those in the heart of Jerusalem. These two schools of thought were illustrated in what became the best-known story about Hillel. A non-Jew wanted to make a cynical point about the folly of these Jews and their beliefs. He approached Shammai and promised that he would convert to Judaism if only the sage could teach him the entire Torah while standing on one foot. Shammai angrily chased him out with a stick. So the man went to Hillel and repeated the deal. Explain the entire Torah on one foot, and I'll convert. Hillel promptly stood on one foot and said, Do not do unto others that which is hateful to you. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Now go study. This golden rule is found in nearly all religions, not just Judaism, and Hillel himself was pulling from biblical ideas found throughout the Torah. The book of Leviticus proclaims, Love your neighbor as yourself. A bit later, another famous sage would be recorded with a slight modification, Do to others what you want them to do to you. This is the meaning of the law of Moses and the teaching of the prophets, said the man, Jesus of Nazareth. Due to the fuzziness of exact dating, there has been the suggestion that Jesus may have been a student of Hillel as a young boy. Whether or not that's true, it's no surprise that Jesus would have been aware of Hillel's wisdom and adopted them for his own preaching. Hillel's sayings seem to have been well known throughout Judea, both during and after his lifetime. 
The biblical scholar Eric Myers writes that Hillel's preoccupation with social concerns echoed the prophets and demonstrated the persistence of these subjects at the turn of the era. In his defense of the poor, Hillel's teachings bear a striking resemblance to those of the Jesus of the Gospels. But his advocacy of love and humility as the core teachings of the Torah can be found equally in the sectarian literature of the time. So we find a stark contrast between the houses of Hillel and Shammai, although both were Pharisees opposed to Greek culture and loyal to the teachings of the Torah. But their opposition wasn't necessarily partisan. Tradition generally allowed that one could choose to follow either house and be fine. But after the destruction of the temple in the year 70, Jewish leaders realized that people needed a single system of interpretation, one set of rules to bind them together. Hillel was chosen over Shammai. Although Jewish tradition continues to study Shammai's teachings, if you are practicing Jewish law today, you are, whether you realize it or not, a card-carrying member of the House of Hillel. Hillel is said to have died around the year 10 of the Common Era. His sayings were preserved by the scholars who came after him. After the destruction of the Second Temple in the year 70, when the Jews found themselves forced to reinvent their cultural traditions and reinterpret their narrative history, the sages looked to Hillel as a key link in what they called the Oral Torah. There was the Written Torah, the books of the Hebrew Bible, which had been in hand now for several centuries, most of them, But the rabbis needed another source of legitimacy and authority. They needed to make new laws to adapt Judaism for an era without Jerusalem and the temple. And so they pointed to what they called the Oral Torah, interpretations of the biblical texts that had been transmitted from Moses on down through the leaders into their own time, and amongst whom Hillel was a revered conduit, much of his teachings faithfully written in a book called the Pirkei Avot, which means the sayings of the fathers. Sometimes it's called the ethics of the fathers. It's the preserved wisdom of the great sages, like Hillel, over a several hundred year period. In the Pirkei Avot, Hillel draws his inspiration from Aaron, the brother of Moses. Hillel reveres Aaron as the ultimate role model. Be one of Aaron's students, he said, loving peace and pursuing it, loving people and bringing them to the Torah. Hence Hillel's golden rule that emphasized brotherly love as the highest ideal of Judaism. And yet to get there, Hillel emphasized that one must take responsibility for caring for your own self. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? He famously asked. But if I am only for myself alone, then what am I? And if not now, when? For the next 2,000 years, Jewish scholars would have their go at interpreting these three questions, each answer adding to the depth and wisdom of Hillel's simple formulation. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? So, we are responsible for our own virtue, our own pursuit of the mitzvot, the commandments that will make us a righteous person. Yet, if I am only for myself alone, then what am I? Later on, Hillel adds to this, Don't separate yourself from the community. Don't judge your fellow human being until you have reached that person's place. And the third one, if not now, when? Don't wait to fulfill your duty. 
Say not, he said, say not, when I have time I shall study, for you may perhaps never have any leisure. The scholar who found himself covered with snow on the roof of his school never forgot that lesson in dedication and devotion. And so Hillel has come down to us as kind of the ultimate wise and enlightened figure from this turbulent era of Jewish history. During his early years of study, the Hasmonean Jewish monarchy fell to the Romans and Judea became a vassal state. Then as Hillel assumed the scholarly leadership of the Jewish community, the great and terrible King Herod came to power. Hillel would live to see Herod build the Temple Mount that we have today and the magnificent addition to the Second Temple that made it one of the great wonders of the ancient world in the center of Judaism. Hillel didn't live to see the Temple destroyed by the Romans in the year 70. But the Jewish leadership that remained, the Pharisees who became rabbis, they looked to Hillel as their spiritual godfather. The Polish-Jewish-American historian Nathan Azubel writes that Hillel was the archetype of the ideal man. He was wise and learned, pious and righteous. He was the most unpretentious of all the rabbinic sages. His sayings are instinct with humanity and kindness. For moral and intellectual stature, Hillel can't be beat, which is why we're kicking off this first batch of great Jewish thinkers with him. What better way to ease into Jewish philosophy with some basic first principles of peace, love, and study? One more story. At some unknown point during the first century before the Common Era, the houses of Hillel and Shammai were debating a profound question. Would it have been better for us humans if we had never been created in the first place? Shammai argued that it would have been better if we were never created. Hillel argued instead that it was good we had. And since the two great sages couldn't come to an agreement, they made a compromise. Perhaps it would have been better had we not been created. But since we're already here, it's our obligation to make the best of it and live honorably. Hillel would eventually have added to his name an honorific, the Elder. It doesn't denote his parental status, but instead expresses the community's deep respect for his wisdom and leadership. Although you'll also see him referred to as Rabbi Hillel, that's a bit of a misnomer, as the term Rabbi wasn't really a professional title back in his day. But Hillel the Elder, that's our guy from the first century BCE. Now Hillel wasn't the only great thinker kicking around Judaism at this time. Right around the time of his death, another great scholar was up and coming, not in Jerusalem, but at Alexandria, Egypt. And his interest was in making connections between the teaching of Torah and the Greek philosophy then in vogue. He also had the nerve to go up against the insane Roman emperor Caligula and survived. His name was Philo of Alexandria, and we'll get into him next time. As always, my website is jewoutonow.com and my email is jewoutonowpodcast at gmail.com. Kicking off season six here with the first batch of 10 Jewish philosophers you ought to know. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Lehi throat. See you later. <laughs>